This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. Good morning, University. Actually, I guess I should say good afternoon, University. It's 12.30, 12.32. Happy Sabbath. I'm pleased again to be here in this church, in this sanctuary, in God's holy day, doing God's will. You know, we're not a packed group today, but there are enough of us in the church where we certainly can gain a blessing. And I've learned that whenever God calls, we shouldn't be like Jonah and turn our backs in God, but should be like Isaiah who says, here am I, God, send me. I do, want to, I do want to commend all of those who participated in the service thus far, the, the singers, our praise team, the deacons, the deaconesses, the musicians, everyone. Your contribution blessed our worship today. And I pray that I know it's challenging, particularly for the praise team. It's, it's a difficult job sometimes. You have to commit yourselves and... and we don't have as many people willing to commit themselves as we'd like, but your contribution blessed our worship. And just keep up the good work. Keep up doing, ministering to others. Allow God to use your, your gifts, your talents, and he'll continue to bless you with additional talents. Church, when I, when I speak, I preface my comments by indicating not every sermon is meant, designed specifically for everyone in the congregation. So what's presented here today may be for that specific young person, may be for a group of young people, may be for the, the veteran in the church. So if the sermon doesn't touch you today, if it doesn't touch you in some Sabbath, just remember this, that is okay. God had this sermon in mind for someone else. But you're here for a purpose. You're here to be a blessing to others merely by your presence. With that being said, I'm praying and I'm asking my prayer warriors in the congregation, Sister Vi and Sister Irely Meta, to pray that there will be one nugget of blessing for each person in the congregation today. Let's bow heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive my sins. Lord, I am unworthy of this awesome task of teaching your people. But first, Lord, I want you to create in me a clean heart and renew that right spirit within me. Lord, today I'm asking you to remove all distractions from this sanctuary. I'm asking you to allow your people to hear your words in my voice. And as I work to prepare this message, prepare your people's hearts for a message, a blessing that will last for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our title today, Saved Inside the Church. Saved Inside the House. Now, anytime I have an opportunity to speak, I use the words of the Lord. I use the Bible 
in my messages. And so I'll be bringing up a number of texts here, but to allow the, the sermon to, to, to flow smoothly, I'm going to have the text on the screen behind me and in front of me as well. Now, you are certainly permitted to read it in your Bible, but you can follow along on the screen as well. So I have my little remote here that I'm going to use to advance the text. We see the first text and the second text that was read by Sister Kathy Evans. Now, I am a father of three, um, stepdaughter and two daughters. One is 22 years old and one is 18. I know I don't look that old that I should have a 22-year-old child. I'm younger than that, but I am. In any event, my 22-year-old has the opportunity to speak on occasion at uh, her church, the Message of Hope Church. And when she speaks, she likes to speak about some of the women in the Bible, some of the famous and infamous women in the Bible, and there are many from which she can choose. Indeed, there are many highly spiritual women in our Bible, but you know what? There are only two mentioned in the faith chapter. And as I try to make this uh, message as interactive as possible, as possible, I'm going to ask for your participation. It's a little bit more difficult in this setting than in a classroom, but I'm going to ask for your feedback. So the faith chapter, what is that faith chapter found in our Bible? Hebrews 11. This side was strong. The next question I want to hear strong on this side. Hebrews 11, thank you. And there are only two women mentioned in that faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Who are the two women mentioned? Rahab is one. And the other one? Not Deborah. I, I thought it would be Deborah as well. The prophet. I heard it back here. Sarah. Sarah. I think that was Jay. So the two women found in that faith chapter are Sarah and Rahab. Rahab the harlot. What's a harlot, by the way? Harlot is a prostitute. So although Rahab was a prostitute, she was one of the ancestors of Jesus identified in Matthew 1, verse 5. Rahab was the great-grandmother of King David, and Jesus came from the line of King David. So we know the story of the Battle of Jericho begins with Joshua, but there is a present truth aspect to this message as well, because Rahab participated in that battle of Jericho, and I believe a present truth can be gained from the story of Rahab and the battle of Jericho. Now, in my presentation and preparation for this, this presentation, I actually used Doug Batchelor's Amazing Facts website and Bible guides to help me as I prepared this message. So let's talk a little bit now about Joshua and Rahab. Let's look at Joshua first. Do you know that Joshua and Jesus are the same name? It means Yahweh delivers. So it's Joshua in Hebrew, and then it's Jesus in the Greek. It means the same. In the Old Testament, there are two Joshuas that are mentioned. We know of Joshua who, who took over the lead of the, the people of Israel after Moses died. He led the people into the promised land. So this Joshua is a type of Jesus. Jesus, remember, 
in our days will help save contemporary Israel, will help save us and lead us into the promised land of heaven. So that's the first Joshua. There's another Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua the high priest. Joshua the high priest was the, the, the priest who led the Jews out of Babylon back into the promised land. They were captured in Babylon. This Joshua led them out of Babylon into the promised land. And he also is a type of Jesus because we know in the last days, Jesus wants to lead his people out of spiritual Babylon and into the promised land. Of heaven. So these two Joshua's represent Jesus. So I want you to notice this. This message is a present truth message, a message of end time warning, because the story of the, the battle of Jericho and Rahab tells us what need, will happen in the last days and where we need to be and with whom we need to be when Jesus returns. So let's get to the story of the Battle of Jericho, Joshua and Rahab at the, the Battle of Jericho. I know most of you know the story, some of you even know the song, Joshua with the Battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua with the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Well, let's hear more about this story. Jericho, that's the gateway to the promised land of Canaan. God promised his people that he would take them back to his promised land. And just at the time of the battle of Jericho, um, the people of Israel were camped on the other side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River was just across from Jericho. And there were about three million Israelites on that other side of Jericho. Now, the Canaanites knew the Israelites were there for a reason, and that is to conquer their land, take over their city. And they were getting a little concerned because as the Canaanites were there in Jericho, they could look over the Jordan River and see the Israelites, just about three million of them. And at night, there was this supernatural phenomenon that they would see over the camp of the Israelites as they looked across the Jordan River. What would they see at night as they looked over the Jordan River? A pillar of fire. A pillar of fire, giving the people light and then protecting them from the wild animals. And then another supernatural event occurred as it was daytime. They would look over that Jordan River and they would see something over the camp of the tabernacle of Israel. What was that that they would see? A pillar of cloud, a pillar of cloud where that's protecting them from the heat, where they can see the manna, the food coming down to feed the children of Israel. So these Canaanites, they were a little worried. They recognized that the people of Israel worshipped a true powerful God because he performed miracles for them. He allowed them to conquer many pagan lands. He fed them when there was no food to be found. So you can see why those, Israel, uh, those Canaanites were a little concerned. Well, Joshua decided to do this. He decided to send two spies to check out the land of Canaan to see if it was ripe for conquering, which is sort of interesting because 38 years ago, earlier, before, um, Moses had sent how many spies to check out that land? 
He had sent 12 spies to check out the land. Ten came back with a bad report. They said that city of Jericho is fortified, fortified, very secure. Those people are huge. We cannot conquer that land. But two spies gave a good report because they trusted in God. Joshua was one of those spies, and Caleb was the other spy. So it's sort of interesting. Moses sent 12 spies. Joshua said, you know what, I only need two because we only need two to bring back that good report. And that can be found actually in Joshua 1 and Joshua 2 as well. Joshua 2 verses 1 and 2. So these spies that went to lodge in the city of Jericho at the house of Rahab. Now we know that Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute. So some of you, if you haven't read this, you may be wondering, you know, I wonder, I mean, we've heard of Christians, we've heard of Christians, hopefully not Seventh-day Adventists, but we've heard of Christians getting mixed up in prostitution rings. You could be wondering, I'm, I'm, perhaps these spies are going to mix some a, little, some a little pleasure with the business of spying, you know, going to see the harlot at her house of ill repute. It might be if you send some Christians out to distribute literature, going down to OBT, and they go into the houses of ill repute, you may be wondering what they were going there for. But friends, that was not the case. We know in, in pagan cultures, the, the houses that were on the city wall were the city inns. And Rahab's family ran one of these city inns. And they were often called bed and breakfast type places. If you're a man and if you had the money, the emphasis was more on the bed than the breakfast, if you know what I mean. But these spies were not going there for that reason. Sort of interesting though, when you are children of God, you're different, you're peculiar people, you're different from some of the others. So although they were spies trying to blend in, they spoke a little bit differently, they didn't use profanity, they dressed a little bit differently, they spoke in low tones. So the other people in the inn recognized that they were here for some different reasons. So notice this friends, the devil knows when God's messengers are invading his territory. Because if Jesus represents, if Joshua represents Jesus, and the other residents in the inn went to warn the king of Jericho about these messengers, who does the king represent? The king represents the devil, Satan. Joshua represents Jesus. Satan represents the devil. The devil knows when you are on God's business, and he is going to send his soldiers against you when you're in God's business. When you're working for the Lord, the look out, the devil is going to be after you with a vengeance. You know, one of my Wednesday evening friends loves to quote this text. She says, Be not afraid, because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Even when the devil comes at you, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, no weapon formed against us can prosper. If you turn to Joshua 2, verses 3 to 5, 3 through 5, you'll see here what the king told Rahab. Messengers came to tell the king that Rahab had these two strangers in her inn, 
The king came to Rahab. He knew what they were there for. He came to her and he asked her. So the king of just, uh, Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered into your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut and when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. Here's the main reason that Rahab is one of only two women found in the faith chapter. She sided with God instead of man. You know, there's this great controversy going around right now. What side will you choose in the battle? Will you choose the side of Rahab? Will you choose the side of God? Will you choose the side of the king or the devil? Rahab knew that the king was powerful, charismatic, could harm her. But she chose to follow God instead of man. And here's why. You know, back in those days, they didn't need the internet. They didn't need BuzzFeed. My girl's on BuzzFeed all the time, keeps you updated on the news. But they didn't need that because back then, people talked to each other directly, right? You didn't have any texting going on. You didn't have any instant messages or Snapchat. People talked with each other. So she knew exactly what was going on. She knew why the spies were there. And when they came through, she, sec- she recognized that God was working through them. God had performed miracles for the children of Israel. God has sent the spies, and she began to demonstrate her faith in action. Faith is an action word. She demonstrated her faith in action by helping the spies. You know, when she helped the spies, she was at risk of being tortured, being murdered, being beheaded. If you reflect on what's happening in the Middle East, there is a group there that is, within the past couple of weeks, actually beheading people. What's the name of that group? ISIS, the Islamic State. They're beheading Christians. I just read in the news this week, they they killed approximately 71 Christians. So when you are on a mission for God, you are at risk. But remember, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right side, but none shall come nigh thy dwelling. Praise God. So Rahab hid the spies up on her roof. When the soldiers went out to search out for the spies, the gates of the city were locked. Two spies in Jericho surrounded surrounded by the enemy with only a prostitute, a harlot, to protect them. Wow. Friends, the Lord may place you in some challenging, challenging circumstances for any number of reasons. He may be allowing you to be surrounded by the enemy. He may want to teach you a lesson or reveal himself to you. Reveal himself to someone else. You know, you may be surrounded by the enemy on your job. They may be reducing your hours. They may be calling you out. Your supervisors may be asking you, requiring you to work on Sabbath. Co-workers may be gossiping about you, backbiting, talking mean things about you. You may have more frenemies, frenemies than friends. Even in the church, friends. 
even in this church, God's church, the devil will be at work. Some people may be talking about dislike you for no reason just because you're doing God's will. Don't get concerned. It's the work of the devil. If you're on God's side, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So the reason God may allow you to be surrounded by these enemies is to build up your brother's faith or your sister's faith or your friend's faith or your children's faith. Somebody's faith may, may need to be strengthened. He may be teaching you a lesson. Jeremiah says God is a God of all flesh. God is God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for him? There's nothing too hard for God. He will protect you. Now we're talking about being saved in the house and this Rahab was going to be saved in the house but this Rahab was a prostitute, a harlot. This Rahab lied. How is God going to bless somebody who lies? Well, our Bible is a true reflection of God's word because you know what? It tells of the good things of God's people and it tells of the bad things that God, God's people did as well. So we know that it's a true report. So Rahab lied. But King David, if you look at the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, 12 through 14, 1 Samuel 21, 12 through 14, it tells of when David himself lied. He pretended he was crazy. He pretended he was mentally disturbed to escape the king of Achish, the king of Gath, Achish. In the Bible, there are lots of incidents of deception and sin. But you know what? God forgives. When we repent, God forgives. And sometimes Rahab may not have known what was right and what was wrong. And in our ignorance, God will wink. You know, there's a lot of symbolism in the Bible. There's symbolism in this book of Joshua and the story of the Battle of Jericho. There's symbolism in, in the book of Revelation as well. And when we're talking about Rahab being saved inside the house, saved inside the church, a woman in the Bible represents what? A woman in the Bible represents the church. A harlot represents an apostate woman, and a virgin represents a pure church. So the harlot represents an apostate church, virgin represents the true church. Rahab was a harlot, similar to Hosea's wife. We as Seventh-day Adventists, we are part of God's church. And then sometimes, unfortunately, we can play the harlot. We can engage in spiritual adultery. When we sin, that means we are giving ourselves over to the devil. The devil is being placed up above God. The devil has become our idol. Spiritual adultery is sin, just like marital Adultery is sin. So, friends, we need to turn to God so that we can retain, refrain from sin. But God is faithful. He will never abandon his church. You know, sin separates us from God. Remember in the Garden of Eden, God came out to meet face to face with Adam and Eve. Sin separated them from God, but he sent his son Jesus Christ to walk on the earth to represent him so he can commune with us face to face once again. And he's looking forward to, to that day when we can be with heaven and he can, in heaven, he can commune with us face to face. 
So friends, I'm talking about being saved inside the house. You know, in Joshua 2, 9 through 9, in Joshua 2, 9 through 13, it says here that Rahab didn't only want to save herself. She wanted to save her family and her friends. And that's what God is looking for us. God wants us also to save our family and friends, to be a witness to our family and friends, to be a witness to our children, to be a witness to our co-workers, our neighborhood. And friends, remember, we need to pray for our children. We need to pray for your husband, pray for your wife. God wants you to be a witness. Intercessory prayer can save. So that scarlet rope, that scarlet cord that Rahab used to let the spies out of the window would be that same cord that she would use to save her family and friends because the spies told her, if you hang that cord outside of the window of your house, anybody who is in your house will be saved. In the Bible, windows represent our witness. Daniel, how many times did he pray? A day? And he prayed where? Open window. He was witnessing to all of Babylon. We need to witness as well to save our friends and our family for eternity. So that red rope represents something. What do you think that red rope represents? The blood of Jesus Christ. Just as in Exodus 12, it describes the story of the Passover when the angel of judgment came to kill all of the firstborn of Israel who didn't have the blood of the spotless lamb on their doorposts. That red rope represents Jesus' blood that can save us. When we're inside the house, we can be saved. Friends, Jesus wants us to be inside his house, inside the household of faith. So you know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story of Jericho. How many times did they march around the city of Jericho? They actually marched around six times, 13 times altogether, six times for each day of the week, rested on the seventh day, as we all do, and then they marched around on that day. Next day, seven times, so 13 times altogether, and the walls came a tumbling down. When the trumpet was blown seven times, the walls came a tumbling down. You know, there are probably many people hiding in different houses in Jericho all through that time when the walls fell, but could you be saved in just any house? You can only be saved in the house with the red rope. During the time of the angel of judgment coming through Egypt to kill the firstborn, you could only be saved in houses that had the blood of the spotless lamb on the doorpost. We must be in God's true church if we wish to be saved. There were many powerful men in that city of Jericho. I used to live in in the city of New York 
in the state of New York. And um, years ago, there was a governor at the state of New York. His name was Elliot Spitzer, Elliot Spitzer. Before governor, he was attorney general. Sort of interesting that while he was governor of New York, he was charged with the crime of soliciting for prostitution. And what they found is while attorney general and governor, this man spent $80,000, $80,000 soliciting for prostitution. He was eventually evicted from his office. I mean, they're powerful men engaging in bad things. So I know back in Rahab's time, there must have been governors and police chiefs and other influential people in that city to whom she could have turned. But she had no intention of going to their houses. Even spiritual leaders sometimes solicit for prostitution. But she had no interest in going to their houses. Today, there may be charismatic men who are opening their own churches around Orlando or Florida, around the country, around the world. God doesn't want us following men. We do not go to men for salvation. Be wary of men who want you to follow them. God wants us to follow him. God and God alone. Friends, God wants us to remain in his true church, his true church that teaches his word. In Revelation 14, 12, Jesus defines his true church. He says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So here we see two important characteristics of God's church. Commandment-keeping church. All commandments, including the Ten Commandments. And then prophesying about Jesus Christ. Not prophesying about prophets, but prophesying about Jesus, Jesus Christ. And there's a third one that's important as well. John 13, verse 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Three cardinal characteristics of God's church. Keeping the commandments, all ten. Striving to keep the commandments, all ten, including the seventh-day Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Prophesying, testifying about Jesus Christ and demonstrating all love. Love is a verb and a noun. It describes a person, place, or thing. It's an action word as well. All love needs to be in action. Just like faith is an action word, our church needs to be demonstrating that love. Friends, as I'm getting ready to close in just a few minutes, I want to show you a quote from Ellen G. White. When, back in her day, people were being encouraged to leave God's true church. And she says in Selected Messages, book 2, page 390, she says this, We cannot now step off the foundation that God has established. We cannot now enter into any new organization, for this would mean apostasy. We cannot now step off the foundation that God has established. We cannot now enter into any new organization, for this would mean apostasy from the truth. 
And then, another important quote. And I love this one because this one, she was, says, I was instructed by God to tell Adventist people in the future this. I'm instructed to say to Seventh-day Adventists the world over, God has called us as a people to be a peculiar treasure unto himself. He has appointed, and pay careful attention to the highlighted red part here, he has appointed that his church on earth shall stand perfectly united in the spirit and counsel of the Lord of hosts to the end of time. To the end of time. Selected Messages, book 2, page 397. So friends, we are living near the end of time. If you read the book of Daniel and Revelation, Revelation 8, 9, and 11, it references the seven trumpets. How many times did they blow the trumpet on that last day when they surrounded Jericho? Seven times. Revelation, you know, that seven trumpet signals the close of probation. Signals a time when you should have made your decision for God. We're living in that last the beginning of that last trumpet. It's a warning call to all of us. Where will you be? Will you be in any old house or perhaps a new house, unsafe house? Or will you be in the Lord's house? Will you be in the true and remnant church, a Bible-believing, a commandment-keeping, a Jesus-prophesying, people-loving, true church of God? But praise God, you're here today. Praise God you're striving to keep his commandments. Praise God you believe in his testimony. Praise God you're demonstrating his love. Praise God you are one of his remnant people. And as I close this message, I want to let you know that, yes, God has sheep who are not of this fold. There are many people who will be saved who are outside of the remnant church. But in the Bible, I don't read of anywhere where God is calling people out of his remnant church into somewhere else. There's no way in the Bible. Instead, he says, I am calling my people come out of her spiritual Babylon. Churches that apostatize. Churches that are not willing to work to keep the commandments of God, have the faith and testimony of Jesus, and demonstrate that love. God is not calling out of people out of his church. God formed his church in the 1860s. God is calling people out of Babylon into God's remnant church. Friends, God's church is not perfect. Hosea's wife was a harlot. She sinned, engaged in spiritual adultery, idolized someone else instead of God. Rahab was a harlot, but she's found in that faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Although God's church is not perfect, he says that the wheat and the tears must grow together until the harvest. At that time, he'll cut the tears out and thrust them into the fire. God is calling people out of spiritual Babylon into his remnant church. If you want to be one of the wheat in God's remnant church, I'm going to ask you to stand as I pray a prayer of consecration.